As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast Playoff Edition. Uh, Aaron Portsign here in sunny central Ohio, joined by Allison Lucan. Hello. And Tom Reed. Good morning. Uh, Blue Jackets, these are words that have never been spoken in this area, have a chance to close out a series tonight. Um, The Blue Jackets, by the way, historically are... Zero and zero in games in which they have a chance to eliminate their opponent. Uh, they have the first crack at it tonight. The Lightning game four. The Blue Jackets lead the best of seven series 3-0 after a 3-1 win in game three. Uh, much to discuss here. We'll bring Joe Smith of the uh, Athletic Tampa Bay in in a bit uh, to, for the state of that uh, team. Uh, but much to discuss with the Blue Jackets here who are, are have become – one of the big stories in the NHL, I, they've been that all season, but finally for a, a good reason here in the playoffs because they're they're playing exceptionally well, giving Tampa Bay more than they can handle, really. Um, I want to start with this. Allison, you wrote a, a piece today, a lengthy, in-depth piece about uh, really what's been a huge part of this for the Blue Jackets. It's their forecheck, um, and it has created offense for them. It has created havoc for Tampa Bay. It has really, really quashed their their top players. Steven Stamkos does not have a point. Braden Point does not have a point. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, who missed game three with a suspension, did not score in either of the first two games. These guys are used to lighting it up and having plenty of ice to work with, and they have not achieved either of those so far in this series. 
Um, it's a great read. I urge you to, to go look at it to really understand what you're watching from the Blue Jackets so far in the series. Uh, Allison, tell us what you you discovered and just how they how the Blue Jackets are doing this. Yeah, so basically the, the Jackets are running what's called a 1-2-2. Two, two. So they're setting up three layers of defense, if you will, for Tampa Bay to have to get through. And, and in its most defined, you're seeing those three kind of lines line up on a blue line, the red line, and the other blue line to clog that neutral zone. Um, and, and the key things the Jackets want to do is always stay above the puck. So they don't want to give Tampa numbers behind them, obviously. Um, and they want to be able to counter Tampa's speed with these layers. Um, we actually even have some data that we were able to track how much Tampa is getting out of the defensive zone and into the offensive zone. And while the Jackets are giving up a little bit more in terms of letting Tampa Bay out of the defensive zone, they are just locking it down in the neutral zone, and they have dropped Tampa Bay's ability to get into the offensive zone by over 10%, I think it is, um, in the playoffs compared to the regular season. And that's just something the Jackets have been able to do. Um, they're, they're focusing on it more. They're getting a little more conservative. You'll notice that the defensemen are probably not pinching um, or dropping as low as they have in the past. Um, but they're, they're sacrificing that, that high-risk play, if you will, for the more conservative, aggressive, controlling play. And they're not only limiting Tampa Bay, but as you said, they're also generating offense out of it. So it's, um, it's pretty impressive, but we also can see there's, there's some examples in there too that the Jackets have to keep this up at the level at which they've had it because the minute it drops, Tampa Bay is going to jump. Um, yeah. And with, uh, with uh, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking? With what's his name coming back tonight after his um, well. suspension? Um, Kucherov. He is, Kucherov. Yes, thank you. He is one of the um, Tampa Bay Lightning's best in this transition game. So there was a little bit of a lapse in this forecheck for the team in the third period of game three. And if they, if they want to continue to have success, they've got to ratchet back up to where they've been the first eight periods or, you know, middle six, if you will, of the series. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, a one, two, two at times. It's been a one, one, three. Uh, a little bit. It's it, it it looks that way. Um, I specifically asked Brandon Dubinsky about it, and he said, "No, it just looks that way." <laughs> so um, we're gonna let that one go for now because I'm not gonna say a player is just flat out telling me something that's not true. Um, but I think that what we see is when they're protecting a lead, that second layer is is in is partially collapsing a little bit more to provide an extra bolster in that, that tertiary layer. So it becomes a one, one, three tertiary. That's a hundred dollar word there. Um, there are times where it looks like they're running a one, three, five or a one, five, seven. <laughs> uh, and I see, I'm joking, obviously it just looks like there's nothing there. And Tom, you, I think that the four check at all, this game is so great because it all ties in together. That four check has led to frustration. The frustration has led to, Silly penalties. Meanwhile, the Blue Jackets have been on the right side of this all along in this series so far in terms of playing at the edge, playing a very physical game. Tom, you wrote about this last night, but not stepping over and, and how they've managed themselves. Josh Anderson has had a huge impact on this series. I wrote about this after the game the other night. But there's so many other players that have played that style and really haven't exposed themselves 
in terms of taking penalties. How key has that been in your eyes, Tom? Oh, yeah. I think you're hitting on two of the key topics. What Allison wrote about today right. um, is, is, is been major. And then, of course, your story from the night before uh, on Josh Anderson, I would encourage everyone to read that because he, to me, has been the he has been the guy that is really he has, as you said, that's been the catalyst for this. He's been able to do it without taking penalties. And what, what struck me is, is when you think about the two years ago when they played a, a very similar opponent, uh, Stanley Cup contender in Pittsburgh, and how they just they just lost their cool because they they went about it as a way. A lot of teams tried to go against uh, Sidney Crosby and Malk, and they tried to just not beat him, but beat the hell out of him. Yeah, right. And because they just didn't have, they really didn't have the talent. That's the underlying thing of all this, is they didn't have the talent to, to compete with these teams, and they probably knew it. So they tried to go out and try to hit him and bang him. Not here. They're, 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 they are doing it, but they are, they're doing it under control. And when they get the puck back, they have the guys now that can, can punish Tampa Bay in other ways. They can score goals. I mean, the, the fact is they've taken four penalties or they've been on they've been trading four times including once uh, when Dubinsky it was a double minor but that's they are just starving Tampa of opportunities uh with the power play and the trap that they have just been so disciplined in the trap that they've been employed um and it, it does make you wonder I don't think that's a system you can play all the time but Allison you can answer this did they use it at all against Tampa Bay in the regular season so by all accounts, they did. The, the trick is, and what we're seeing, and, and Riley Nash mentioned this, he said, you know, it's, you can, if you really pause after you hear what some of these guys say, it, it all comes back together. But he said, you know, we cannot give them the odd man rush. And how many goals did we see Tampa Bay score? Um, particularly, I believe it was in game two of the three regular season games where Tampa Bay just flies behind them. Um, and that's where, again, um, that discipline of the defensemen to not jump like they have been, is what's really making this more pronounced and more effective. It lets those forwards up front be a little more aggressive, but also then really be stout in that last layer of defense. Yeah, it strikes me as a very, this is, I think this is a system you would, teams would mutiny if you did it all the time. <laughs> but I think that, that you can do it, especially in the playoffs. And it's really, it's really been effective. I, I just, again, you marvel at it, and it all comes back to the same word. Both stories we're talking about is discipline. Yeah, you just, been, I think the Blue Jackets have been very patient and very disciplined in, in the way they've approached this series and the way they've attacked Tampa. Is this um, is this this is not safe as death? This is oh no, this is smart as life. Right, agreed. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny. So I asked, I don't know if I, I think it, it's both, if that's fair in a way, because I, I do think they're not a full out aggressive forecheck, but they're pressuring, right? I mean, if you, if you watch some of those, if you watch some of the forecheck plays, that F1 is just is going to go. And what's really impressed me is the three forwards ability to read off one another and, and allow the first guy to apply a really strong degree of pressure while the other to adjust and then take over that role depending on where the puck goes. So it, there's something that feels aggressive about it to me, which speaks to safe as death. But there is also <laughs> the exact opposite happening where they're just not going to let Tampa through. Lily Amarello once told me, I went to talk to him in the press box 
back in the heyday of the of the devil's trap. And I was trying to start asking him questions, not really understanding who Lou Lamorello was at, at the time. And he said to the young reporter, the dumbest thing they ever did was give it a name, trap. Yeah. <laughs> a, everyone was, it's a forecheck. No, 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 it's a trap. Well, yeah, and if you, but if you look at it, though, like what I'm saying, like if you watch, I talked to Cam Atkinson about the forecheck, too. And, and if you watch these guys on the forecheck, particularly the F1s, the first forwards, they're running it just like the PK does. And, and Josh and Cam love how they're asked to play on the PK. And that's how they're being asked to play on the four check. Oh yeah, without, you know? without question. Yeah, for that, that's there's no question about that. So I, so it's it's so in a so it's almost like is a player going to be more willing to your point, Tom, to play this way because they're getting these spurts of the kind of play they really enjoy. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I, I yeah, without question, I, I understand that. I'm just saying that the, the, the other guys in the back are not. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> they're not playing like they normally play in the regular season. So I don't know if you could play that game eighty-two times a year. True, true. Yeah, the defensemen can't engage in this like they normally do. Correct, correct. They can't. Correct. Or, or yeah, you lose that. And so I think that's. I think for me at least, um, safe as death has always been a, largely about the defensemen engaging. Totally. Totally. Um, and and I, there's still a big. There's still obviously a big part of this. And I and they have been huge. I mean, you just watch. It's one of those observations, the no duh observations. But when you're up up above and you see Seth Jones turn on a dime and reverse the play, and just single handedly skate the puck out of trouble, you go, God, that is such a a huge benefit if you're the Blue Jackets to have a guy that can do that. They just single handedly uh, pull the pull the uh, the pressure valve on everything. And Wierenski is largely the same way. Um, so let's. Uh, one more topic here before we welcome Joe in from, from Tampa Bay. Every playoff series that Blue Jackets have ever played in his, uh, I shouldn't say that, since 0809, he wasn't here then. It's always been about Sergei Bobrovsky. And it seems like this series, there's no question that the start of game two, or period two of game one, the saves that Bobrovsky made may be the reason that the series is where it is right now. Because that, they don't come back from four nothing down, most likely. Who knows where it goes from there? Um, but the fact that that he made those saves and stood up huge in that second period, and really in the third too, in that first game, um, is has made him a huge part of the series. And yet these last couple of games, I think the Blue Jackets have played so well. He's had to make key saves at key times, but this series really hasn't been about. Um, Sergei Bobrovsky, and and I, that's a credit to him, but also to the Blue Jackets and how they've played in front of him. Uh, and yet he stopped 69 of the last 71 shots, where wh- whereas they used to lose confidence from Bobrovsky in their play, I think they're getting confidence from Bobrovsky in their play now, especially what they did in, in Game 1. Can you guys just talk briefly about how pivotal Bobrovsky's been and how much credit he deserves after taking fairly, but taking so much blame these, uh, these last couple of seasons. Tom. Uh, I'm sorry. I was texting somebody. Uh, I think that, um, I, I think you just laid it out pretty well. I mean, that he's, I, he's seeing a different type of shot. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's not getting because of what we just got done discussing over the last five or 10 minutes here about the way that they're trapping and, 
they're 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 not giving they're not giving Tampa many power plays. Uh, he's facing a different kind of shot now. In the first the first game, the first period, uh, he was a little bit of an architect of his own destruction there with the the, the easy rebound on the second goal. But he's been very good uh, when when called on, especially early in the third period. The other night when Tampa was trying to make a push, uh, he made some big saves right there to get them out of trouble. There was a couple shifts where the Blue Jackets really got hemmed into their end, and Bobrovsky made, I don't know, three or four really good stops. So he's doing his job. He's, he's, he's not being asked to save, the, save them the way he did the last couple times against Pittsburgh and even at times against Washington, and he's doing a really nice job of it. Yeah, I think Tom laid it out, and the only thing I'd add, I, Tom's point that is so valuable to me is the different kind of shot. Because if we, this is not to take away anything from what Sergei Bobrovsky has done in net, but if you look at what he's, how he's performing, he's actually right at expectations. So it's all kind of averaging out that he's making big saves at key times and doing his job and playing right about average. And what's encouraging about that, to your point, Porty, is that the team in front of him has confidence. They're not worried about him behind them. And I think that this could bode well, as we've talked about even going into this series, he's still poised to steal a game. He has not had to do that yet. All right, let's bring Joe in here. Welcome in, uh, Joe. And just to get right to it here, um, you've been around this team for a number of years now. I don't know that I've, uh, you know, teams get shaken uh, in these playoffs. It's such a swing good bad all in, in all directions everybody faces it at some point what's the mood around this team i i was i was i don't want to read too much into because i don't know stamkos well at all but he seemed he seemed rather down in the mouth as he spoke yesterday what kind of vibe did you get from him and and the rest of the team uh on the off day yesterday in nationwide well you know you're, you're right i mean it's it's i think they're kind of just stunned to be in the situation Quite frankly, I think all of us who have followed them all year and the last number of years are stunned considering the success that they've had and how well they've played. And But I think for a group that's facing this daunting hole and for a team that's kind of way below expectations at this point in the series, they're surprisingly calm and composed. Maybe it's just out of they have no other choice but to be that way uh, yeah. in the situation. But, you know, they feel like Ryan Callahan you know, said he'd no other team he'd rather be on in the situation. They've won four straight number of times this year. Obviously, this is a different situation, but, yeah, Braden Coburn was the 2010 Flyers who came back and won uh, from 3-0 down to the Bruins uh, in that playoffs. And he said this team is much better than that team. They can find a way to do it. But, you know, either they're grasping at straws for anything that's positive and in this very kind of desperate state. But um, I think the real reflection, whether they talk to media or not, is is how they come out in the first period tonight and, uh, and see what their answer is. And you need your best players to be your best players, and they need those guys who have been scoreless, the points and the Kucherovs and the Samkoses, to help lead the way and bring back to Tampa for at least one more game. Uh, Kucherov will be back tonight. Uh, Victor Hedman doubtful is the word that John Cooper used? He, yeah, he's doubtful. Um, he hasn't skated with the team since he got banged up again on Friday's Game 2. Okay. So I would be surprised if he's, I mean, we'll find out in the morning skate if he's actually out there again, but I would be surprised if he's in the lineup tonight. But, um, but yeah, that's obviously kind of something that's kind of been under the radar of the series is he hasn't looked right from the beginning of the series when he was playing. 
Um, so I, I just wouldn't be surprised if he's out. And obviously with him out, they'd have probably Braden Coburn and Anton Strawman's getting closer to a return. I'm not sure if he'll be back available tonight, but that's another kind of a unsung factor there is getting another veteran defenseman back there on the blue line. And what do we know about Alex Killorn, who left the game, game three? He was, I think, as of yesterday, was it was unclear whether he would go or not. Yeah, he. They said it was too soon to tell. I mean, it looked like a knee or a leg issue after that that um, that hit in the forecheck late in the game, game three. So he didn't skate yesterday. I didn't even see him in the building, so I'm not sure what his status is for tonight. But I, I would be surprised if, I mean, unless he's you know feeling a lot better, I was surprised if he's playing tonight too. But you have Ryan Callahan who can stay in the lineup, and obviously Nikita Kucherov comes in for. Uh, um, for tonight's game. Yeah. Uh, the Blue Jackets uh, are keeping an eye on Marcus Nudavara, who did not play in Game 3 after the Game 2 hit by Kucherov. He skated pregame, so you get the sense that he's probably probably not too far away, uh, but we'll know more about him this morning. He did not skate yesterday an off day, a, a, obviously not a game day, but a practice day. Uh, Brandon Dubinsky, who left late in Game 3, spoke with him yesterday. He went through the protocol he was a surprise member of practice yesterday. He said he felt pretty good. He'll be evaluated today. Sometimes uh, the lingering, uh, he said he, he acknowledged feeling spacey. Sometimes the lingering issues of concussions um, will, will not appear until a, a couple days later. Uh, so keep an eye on that one as well. One thing I wanted to get to, because uh, there were there was a little glimmer of hope for the Lightning in the third period, where down 2 nothing they scored to make it 2-1, to one, and then really for probably six to eight minutes there, there was sustained pressure by the Lightning for the first time since the first period of game one. Um, and and I, I for sure, uh, the Blue Jackets will say, well, we got a little too passive there. Uh, just need to tighten that up. And the Lightning will say, I think we were onto something. That's something that they can grab onto heading into game four. Um, Tom, your thoughts just on the, how that period went and and briefly how concerning is that do you feel like the lightning discovered something that they can exploit well they certainly did i mean i you would have to think their 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 level of desperation uh rose a little bit in that period because i thought for the first two periods and this is not the case i'm sure joe as joe will attest that looked like a performance that was trying to get their coach fired they just they just didn't look like they it, it's for for the consequences that were going on with this team. And now, granted, there was no Victor Hedman. There was no Kucherov. So maybe they had to dumb down what they were doing a little bit. But it's just it was incredible how how feeble they looked. Uh, we were and then Allison pointed this out the other night. Um, you know, they they bring a, the Blue Jackets bring a, a new defenseman into the lineup, Adam Clendenning. He had as many shots as the, the the Lightning had in the first period alone. I mean, they just didn't look like they were doing anything. So they, they did finally pick it up in the third period. I don't know. It, it starts 0-0, new game. They're down three games to zero. I don't know. I, I just, I, I've been puzzled by the Lightning this entire series. They just, I, I just can't explain how bad they've looked. And Joe, Joe's seen them all season. It's just like they, they, I, maybe just the adversity that they just haven't faced a lot of adversity this season. Well, they, uh, let, me, they, let me cut in here, Allison. Did you see something in that Blue Jackets four check that was different in that third period? Did they scale it back? Oh yeah, for sure. And and the the guys talked about that too. And and there's there's a clip in there actually from the third period in my piece today um, of where when they relaxed 
you know, Tampa Bay gets right back to that, that speedy transition. I mean, and, and they, they did find something to hang their hat on. It's, it's nutty to, to see what's happened, but, you know, we were talking with some folks at the rink yesterday and it, it is it almost, and, and Joe would, would know this better than we would, but is it almost that the lightning have been at such an elite level all season that when the ask is made elevate, that, that that's in some ways a bigger ask than a team like the Jackets who were seeking to elevate and still had another gear. If you're already in your highest gear, can, yeah. can, is, there any, is there anywhere else to go? Uh, you know, I don't know, but that was a theory that we were talking with some folks about yesterday as well. Yeah. Now, Joe, when you look at, at that third period, obviously the Lightning are hanging their hats on that being the start of something. Is that the vibe you've gotten? That's that's what they're holding to, and whether it's grasping at straws or not, they they really felt like they found their confidence. They found their game. They they feel like they, as since game one, period two or three, they really felt they've been working hard but not smart. They feel like they've been been being played to simplify their game. They try to do too many dump and chase that they've been trying to feel like they've been forced to do because of the uh, the neutral zone and forecheck by Columbus. And I just think that that was at least some sort of confidence builder for them in terms of they can play type of game that they've been playing all season the goal by uh Pilot was just typical lightning play where johnson carries in the zone they do this tic-tac-toe passing to, to turn and back to Pilot. that looked like the lightning to me for the first time in uh, six or seven periods and and to, to speak to you guys point there i think columbus has playing been playing playoff hockey for about a month now we winning seven of eight to get in the playoffs lightning been playing for six days and they basically had the president's trophy locked up for about a month and they were playing games, meaningful games, I guess, in the sense against the Capitals or Bruins, but they had nothing really to play for. And I think that really the first game one really got sent a shock to their system, um, you know, blowing that three-goal lead. And it kind of lingered into game two. And, and give credit to Columbus. They've been playing incredible hockey. They've been playing structured hockey. They've been playing disciplined hockey. And, and, and so I think um, that's kind of, I think to me, it's what kind of happened in the series is where Lighting had a 3-0 lead. They thought they could just go on and try to bury these guys and and they got punched in the mouth a little bit and they were a little stunned going into game two and they were timid and uh, played a little bit tight and I think Columbus took control of the series. So that's just at least my feel of it. I don't think they were playing to get their coach fired the other night. I actually think they were trying to feel things out without two of their best players and they were trying to uh, not give up too much defensively and, and trying to figure out a way to, to get something going offensively and uh, they didn't find it until too little too late and, and they're hoping that yeah, that third period gives them some, some hope going in tonight for a Columbus team that's going to be ready for them. I don't think Columbus is going to sit on their on their heels. They're going to be ready to go and try to finish this one off. They don't want to go back to Tampa. Joe, 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 the thing that's shocking to me is this is – you might expect this from a, maybe a, a really young team that had an incredible regular season and really hasn't been through the playoff wars. We're talking about a team that's won, what, six, seven rounds – the playoffs over the last three or four years. This is like their third time. They've the last they've gone to the conference final like three times over the last four or five years, right? That's correct. Yeah, they went to the cup final in fifteen, conference final the next year, or missed the playoffs the next year after that, and then obviously conference final last year, game seven against uh, the Capitals. They've been through the, they've been through I, the rigor. They've been through. I mean, a lot of the, the core group of players, like I wrote on Saturday, this is a defining moment for them. You know, are they winners? They, can they find a way to to get beyond everything or? Or is it something to be to be evaluated? But but yeah, you're right. They there's adversity hasn't been felt this season necessarily, other than missing Vasilevsky for a month in November. But they've had right. that adversity over a number of years. I think that's what's the most shocking thing to me about all this. It's it would be one thing 
if this was, a, again, a young team that had faced this, I mean, they have been through the playoff wars. They have played in game sevens. They have, and it's certainly, uh, you know, what the Blue Jackets are running at them right now, they've probably seen before. I mean, nobody's reinventing the wheel here. The Canadians were doing this in the 1950s. So can you, does it, I mean, can you figure out why in this series it has been just this bad? Well, you know, I'm giving a lot of credit to Columbus here because they deserve a lot of credit in Tortorella for their, their adjustments and everything like that. I think you're right. That's what's shocking to me, too, is because when, they, when Cooper mentions no adversity, I, I think back to all these other seasons they've had, the Game 7s and, and losing the playoffs and, and finding a way. But I just think it, things just came so easy to them during the regular season that they were able to mask some of the issues that they might have had defensively or overall. They can outscore a lot of their problems. And so when they finally got to a point this season of getting into some really tough situations here where it actually mattered, not the regular season when they were up by 21 points in the, in the conference, that they were able to, that they just thought they could just find a way that they did all season long and went back to the well and it didn't work. And so they were kind of being caught scrambling, had to make some adjustments. And, and overall, you're seeing uh, a Columbus team that's been playing a lot better at ex- executing them. You know, they've out executed them, they've been playing the right way. And so, yes, I think it's, it's shocking in a sense because this team is so experienced. It's shocking because they've had such a great regular season. But we all know who covered the game that the playoff hockey is much different than the regular season hockey. And Columbus has been the one that's been playing that way the first three games and the Lightning have only been for a few periods. Joe, is there somebody when you look at on the Columbus side that has that's really stood out to you as a surprise? A player maybe you didn't recognize previously? Is- well, I mean, I, I think – there's a number of guys I think that have done that. Um, I think Tech, you guys call him Tex, I guess the uh, the rookie. Um, yeah, Tex. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, uh, incredible poise for a young player, and, and to be put in a situation to be able to stand out. And I think your piece on Josh Anderson was was so spot on, uh, uh, Aaron, just about how he, he's been able to kind of get in the Lightning's head and be be a frustrating player and a guy who can just really elevate his game physically and and also be. Um, a guy who'd be effective at the areas of the ice. So, um, and then Duch- I think Duchesne for me, like I, I didn't wonder how they would fit in with this, the, the Columbus team. I wondered how he would. It was probably a seamless transition for him, but you're seeing him making some big time plays in this playoff series. It's been a difference maker. I'm sure that's what they kind of envisioned, right? When they made these moves to the deadline. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, Tom, Allison, anything to add before we wrap it up here? Nothing for me. Excellent. No, it's been. I encourage all of our Blue Jacket fans to read Joe's stuff. He's done a great job covering this series. Uh, you should read his stuff all the time, but especially as as we go through those last couple games of the series, I think Joe's done a great job covering the, giving us the perspective from the Tampa Bay side. He's also brought great life to the post-game videos. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has. That's true. <laughs> the ratings are way up. They are up. We've got, like, subscribers now and followers on the YouTube channel. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll we'll bring my A game tonight. I'll have to wear a nice sh- shirt and tie to see if I can fit in with the group. I don't know. But uh, oh, hopefully I can uh, fit in a camera. Yeah, don't be – you don't have to wear a tie, man. Don't make the rest <laughs> uh, Joe, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hey, and nope. thank- Yeah, thanks. And, and thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you all tonight after game four at Nationwide Arena. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.